How about we open with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Um, We pray that you would uh, bless it to us. We pray that we would listen um, as your word calls us to. Uh, Lord, you um, have, uh, we've just sung in that, in that song about how you have promised to speak, how you do speak to us, um, and change us through your word. So Lord, we pray that as we hear this morning, that we would be changed by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, you might see in your bulletins, I've entitled the sermon today, Are You Listening to Me? I think it's a question that most of us can probably relate to. Um, Wives, how many times have you told your husband, are you listening to me? You don't seem like you're listening to me. Husbands, maybe you've said that to your wives, although it's funny, it kind of seems to be the other way around a lot more. Parents might have said that to your kids, uh, or kids can can sometimes say that to their parents as well. You're just not listening to me. Uh, I think this feeling is pretty much at the core of this passage in Isaiah. Uh, the last few months, uh, we've uh, been working our way through Isaiah 40 to 45. Um, and so far, and, and we've read about how God is speaking to his people, Israel. Uh, they're far from home in exile um, as captives because of their sin. And God's been uh, speaking through Isaiah prophetically into that situation Uh, as a word of comfort. Yes, God says you're in exile, but I'm going to save you, I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to bring you back home. Uh, I'm so much greater than the idols that you were worshipping when you rebelled against me, I'm so much greater than the idols of the Babylonians that you've been carried into captivity. Uh, Even in exile, you don't need to fear... Turn to me, trust me, I will bring you home again. And are you even listening to me? I've been pouring out my love, God says, bearing my soul for these last eight chapters, and you're just not listening. You haven't been listening this whole time. Uh, Again, you'll see in your bulletins the first half uh, of the passage, verses 1 to 11, it's, it, this passage divides nice and neatly into two halves, uh, and the first half, we're going to be, that, that passage, that uh, idea, that question really just sums it all up. Have you been listening to me? Um, we'll, be, we'll get a, a good idea of that as we, as we work through these verses. Uh, thanks, Wiki, for reading the passage to us. Um, we, I'm going to, um, I'm going to work through it in the NIV, um, and it's, it sort of starts off in just this really attacking, almost sarcastic kind of tone. Listen to this, you descendants of Jacob, you are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Jacob of Judah, you who take oaths in the name of Yahweh and invoke the God of Israel but not in truth or righteousness. You who call yourself citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the Holy One of Israel, the Lord Almighty is his name. And he goes on. These descendants of Israel, God says, they're, they're so-called Israel. That, that's their name as, as that uh, they've 
been given by, or that Jacob was given by God and his descendants uh, took that name as the nation. But they don't really live uh, as God's chosen people. They don't live up to that calling that God's put on them. Uh, Sometimes uh, it's kind of an Australian thing, I guess, to give things ironic names. You know, you might get a Great Dane and call it Tiny. And there's a joke there, obviously. Uh, Everyone can see that the opposite... The the name is the opposite of reality. And everyone can see that Israel's claim to be the people of God is the opposite of reality. There's irony, but there's no humour. They call on the name of Yahweh. They claim that he is their God, but really they have no right to call on him. They don't treat him as if he really is their God. As Steve mentioned last week, you know, they, they keep going back again and again and again and worshipping these idols. And they just don't listen to Yahweh. We, if you've been with us for the last couple of months, you'll see how the things just keep coming up. The same topics, the same ideas, the same message, because they just don't listen. I foretold you the former things long ago, Yahweh says. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron. Your forehead was bronze. Therefore I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you. So that you could not say, my images brought them about. My wooden image and my metal, my metal God ordained them. You have heard all these things. Look at them all. Will you not admit them? From now on, I will tell you of new things, of things unknown to you. They are created today and not long ago. You have not heard of them before today, so you can't say, I knew of them. You have neither heard nor understood. From of old, your ears have not been open. Well do I know how treacherous you are. You are called a rebel from birth. Uh, Back in the law, God says, I told you what was going to happen. This is not a surprise. This is not something that idols have done. I told you what would happen if you rejected me, and you didn't listen then. And now I'm telling you new things that I'm going to do, and you're still not listening. Uh, In verse 4, there's such a great image, isn't it? Some of you are going to take notes and use this on your kids. Why can't you get this through your thick skull, God says. Oh right, it's made of bronze. You'll never get anything through that thick bronze skull of yours. This is a serious issue though, between God and his people. This is more than about God's people not, not listening to him, not obeying him. It strikes at the heart of the relationship. Uh, We spoke at the start, didn't I, about how this uh, is something that comes up in our own relationships. You know, like, oh, you're just not listening to me. But it's deeper than that because communication is at the heart of relationships. You know, if we don't listen to each other, it strains and breaks relationships. And how much more so when they don't listen to God? 
Now, you might be hearing all this and you might be thinking, wow, those guys are such losers. Sure hope I'm a better listener than they are. Maybe you're even thinking, thank goodness I am a better listener than them. But let me challenge that a little bit. Do you really listen to God more than anything else? Oh, they say money talks, don't they? Money, money tells us to do things, you know. If we don't have money, it tells us to panic. And we panic. If we have lots of money, money tells us to relax and we relax. God tells us to fear not. And then we just double-check our bank balance to make sure that we really have nothing to fear. Maybe that's just me that does that. Uh, But what about you? Do you really listen to God or do you listen to money? Oh, to pick another example, um, we're often told that we need to listen to our bodies. Uh, It's important to listen to our bodies. If If your body tells you you're thirsty, go and have a drink. If your body tells you you're hungry, go and eat something. If your body tells you you're tired, you know, stop whatever you're doing and rest right now. If your body tells you that you need sex, go and find someone to sleep with or just pleasure yourself. Do whatever your body tells you. Don't worry about what anyone else might think or want. Do whatever makes you happy, whatever you need. Now, some of those things are good, some of those things are bad. Uh, But some of those things, it depends on the situation. But when your body tells you to do something, do you listen to God or to your body? Or what about your friends, those you look up to, your favourite experts or your family members or or those uh, unapologetic novel thinkers you think are really onto something? They have opinions and they have theories and they have observations and they love to tell you about them. Do those human voices in your life drown out the voice of God? Does God's word critique them or are they perfectly in line with everything God has revealed? Does God's word shape the way you listen to the people you admire or do the people you admire shape the way you listen to God? Now, if if you've been listening with me this far and you've been a bit convicted, please understand I'm not trying to guilt you into doing better. That's not the point. The answer is not, I need to do better. At least, that's not the primary point. That's not first and foremost. When we read the Bible and it tells us that we're doing something wrong, first and foremost, it tells us that we need the gospel. That we are desperate sinners, just as in need of the gospel as anyone else. We are essentially the same desperate losers that Israel were all those thousands of years ago in the Old Testament. We are just as unheeding, just as rebellious, just as idolatrous, just as deaf. And so the question is, how do I, not how do I be better, but where, what is going to restore that relationship with God? Where can we go from here? You know, God's, there's no point in just saying, oh, you need to listen better if we keep not listening. We can't keep going round and round in circles. What will be the response? What will be God's response? What's he going to do with us? 
Well, look there in verse 9. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. God's response is not to cast us off, not to destroy us completely. God will rescue, God will show mercy. God will, as it were, pull the, pull the silver out of the fire before the refining process is finished. He'll find another way to purify us. One that doesn't involve so much time in the furnace of affliction. And isn't that such a beautiful truth? Isn't God's mercy such a beautiful thing? God isn't vindictive. He doesn't wait for us to screw up so he can burn us to a crisp. No, even though we do screw up, he refuses to burn us to a crisp. Now, don't misunderstand me. God's patience isn't for every, forever. God's mercy isn't for everyone. There are people who will burn in hell, but that's not, what the, the, like, that's not the focus of this passage. We're not, that's a story for another day. For those whom God has chosen and promised to save, there is nothing we can do that will cast us off, that will make him cast us off. God's infinite mercy is at work here. Now we then have to ask why, what motivates him to do that? Mercy isn't what we deserve, there's nothing about us that makes, us this, that makes this worthwhile. Uh, God doesn't look into the future and, and see our potential um, and use that as, as a reason for going through all this pain and heartache of putting up with rebellious children uh, and dying in excruciating judgment for for us. There's nothing about us that makes God show us mercy. There's nothing about us that motivates God to show us mercy. The only compelling reason that God has to save us has to come not from us, but from himself. That's what we see in this verse. God is his own motivating force. Uh, God is merciful, he says, for my name's sake. Verse 10, for my own sake, for my own sake I do this, God says. How can I let myself be defamed? I won't yield my glory to another. God saves us, God shows mercy for his own sake. Uh, Now, this doesn't make God selfish. If God saves us for his glory, for his name's sake, is he being selfish? Well, no. If God saved us because of what we offered him, that would be selfish. If God saves us because we offer him nothing in return, that is selfless. God shows mercy because he is merciful. He loves because he is loving. He saves us to show us his mercy and goodness and love, in other words, to show us his glory, because in showing us his goodness and mercy and love, in showing us his glory, he is giving us the best possible gift there is. He is showing us what it means to be loved and known and forgiven by Almighty God. I won't give my glory to another, God says, I will show it to you. For all eternity, just as I have promised... 
I will do this. So that's the first half of this chapter. God has asked his people, have you been listening to me? And the answer we've seen is no. But God is still determined in light of his faithfulness because of his love for the sake of his glory. God is still determined to save and have a deep intimate relationship with his people. Uh, So in the second half of the chapter, God again calls on his people to listen to him. But now the focus is not on their failure, but on his faithfulness and how he makes the way forward. So it's the second half of this chapter. Uh, We've had, have you been listening to me? Now we have, listen to this. Verse 12, listen to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I've called, I am he, I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. Uh, Like I said, these these verses are all about God now. Uh, And these are in exact keeping with what we've seen throughout Isaiah 40 to 47. Yahweh alone is God. He existed before all others. No one will outlast him. I am the first, God says, and I am the last. He is the creator of heaven and earth and like a soldier, when an officer gives a, a command, all of creation stands to attention at the sound of Yahweh's word. So God says, do the same, listen to this. Verse 14, come together all of you and listen. Which of the idols has foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. His arm will be against the Babylonians. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him and he will succeed in his mission. Uh, Now, those verses are a little bit confusing about who it's talking about, especially if you've got the ESV. Um, But this is a callback a couple of chapters to God's plan for Cyrus to bring his people out of exile. God said that Cyrus would defeat the Babylonians and uh, command that that Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Uh, And so here, he reiterates his plan. God's not going to go back on his word. Uh, And so we read in verses 20 20 and 21, Leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians. Yahweh has redeemed his servant Jacob. Rejoice, God says, you'll be going home. Uh, And he uses more of that uh, Exodus language that we've seen in previous weeks. Just as God led them out of Egypt and through the wilderness in the book of Exodus, uh, he gave them water from a rock, like uh, it says in verse 21, so now a new Exodus will bring them out of Babylon. But not only that, in verses 18 and 19, God reiterates the promises that he made uh, all the way through the Old Testament. Abraham, Moses, David, uh, these rich promises Uh, of peace like a river, righteousness like the waves of the sea, offspring like the sand, a relationship with him, all of these things in infinite measure and for all eternity. All of these promises are still on offer. Or at least that's the message, isn't it? But the tone of these verses is not quite that hopeful. Rather, the the tone suggests that the promise has been lost because of their failure. If only you had paid attention to my commands. 
then all these things would have happened. These promises would have been fulfilled. Verse 22 ends on a somber note, doesn't it? There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. If these promises are dependent on his people listening to him, and if we constantly fail, what is God going to do? How is God going to fulfill those promises? How is God going to establish that relationship? Well, think for a moment about what you or I might do if we had a breakdown in communication like this. Uh, let's, let's think about a couple of people. Let's call them Alice and Bob. Uh, they might be a married couple. Maybe they're business partners. It doesn't really matter because we do the same thing either way. Um, if they don't see eye to eye because Bob never listens to what Alice has to say, what are they going to do? Well, most likely they're going to go and find someone to help. They'll look for a mediator to help them recover that communication. And as I said, we see this happen in all sorts of relationships, families, businesses, so on. Uh, If we have a breakdown in communication, we'll go find a mediator. And in fact, this is exactly what God will do too. Uh, This is kind of hinted at in verse 16. Um, God says, come near to me and listen to this. Uh, From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret, and from the time it happens, I am there. And now the Sovereign Lord has sent me, endowed with his Spirit. Uh, Again, these are slightly confusing verses, um, and most of that is because it's pointing forward to next week's passage. So I'm not going to go too much into that aspect of it. But what we see hinted at here is, uh, is God's sending someone in the power of his Spirit... To speak for him. Uh, and again, that's sort of hinting at this idea of mediation. So let's drill down into that idea a bit. Uh, Isaiah sort of functioned as a bit of a mediator. You might even um, read these verses and think, oh, that's, is God sending Isaiah? Um, and kind of yes, but kind of no. Isaiah did represent the people to God and he spoke for God to the people. Uh, And in fact, he was in one of a long line of mediators. Um, Most of the big names you think about in the Old Testament did that that role, especially Moses or, or Joshua, David, many, many others. They all represented the people to God in some way and God to the people to varying degrees in different ways. But none of them was ever really up to this task that at least not to the degree that we need. Because they were themselves separated by God from their sin, by their, separated from God by their sin. Uh, and we've seen how well the people listened to Isaiah, didn't we? Um, so they could only really do so much of this mediating. What we need and what God intends is someone better. Someone who will truly listen to God, uh, speak for God and listen on behalf of God's people. Where will God find this sort of perfect mediator? We find the answer in the New Testament. Hebrews 1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days 
He has spoken to us by his Son. The radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. God's mediator is fully God. He speaks for God as God incarnate. Uh, Hebrews 2 says this, He was made like them, that is, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Uh, And so God's mediator is also fully man, representing uh, representing the people before God in in perfection. And so God's mediator is not a third party like we would expect. That's normally what we look for in a, th- in a mediator, someone who has no relationship with either parties, a third party, some stranger entirely outside that relationship. But God's mediator is one who is both fully God and fully man. Not neither, both. The perfect mediator, the true servant is Jesus. The only one who is fully God and fully man. Uh, Hebrews 9 as well picks up that language of mediating. Christ is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins that they had committed. Uh, Again, I spoke before about the promises that God had made. Peace, righteousness, offspring, eternal relationship, uh, if we listen to him. Through the mediation of Christ, uh, we we may receive the promised eternal inheritance. But they come through the death, through his death. Uh, Listen how how these promises uh, come out in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Then the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many or will make many righteous and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he's poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. As our mediator, he died for our sin. He died taking the punishment for our stubbornness and rebellion. And in that death, he won the peace and righteousness and offspring, eternal favor that we were promised in Isaiah 48. Jesus' death on our behalf brings us all the blessings that we would otherwise forfeit by not listening to God. So where do we go from here? Uh, let me, I've read a few passages from Hebrews. Let me read one last one from the start of Hebrews 2. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. 
For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The fact that we have this message, this gospel, Jesus as our mediator, the fact that we have God's promises confirmed, our obedience achieved by Jesus, means, the writer of Hebrews says, that we must pay the most careful attention. We must listen even more than Israel needed to listen in the Old Testament. We must believe this good news uh, of Jesus. We must obey what God has spoken through his word. We must turn to him in repentance, owning up to our sin when we fail. We must love and serve Jesus alone. We must persevere through the hard trials of life and not fear, as we're told in Isaiah so many times. But most importantly of all, we can do this because Jesus, our mediator, has made the way for us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the the promises that you have made to us and the fact that we have those promises through Jesus. Uh, Lord, we uh, confess that we are uh, idolatrous and and sinful people, Lord, who uh, so often fail to listen to you. But we thank you that you have made a way for us to be reconciled to you through the, the... You have made a way for that relationship to be restored through the death of Jesus on our behalf and through his mediation that he listens uh, for on our behalf and, and brings us your word and that he represents us before you for all eternity. So it's in his name we pray. Amen.